Welcome back to the Play On Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Stavros. Today we'll be speaking with Jeff Cummings and Rex Young from this season's production of Julius Caesar. Jeff has previously been seen at the festival as Cassius in Julius Caesar in 2008. He's been a part of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, the Indiana Repertory Theater, ACT Theater Seattle, and the Notre Dame Shakespeare Festival. He's also been part of the recording of over 150 audiobooks, including The Second Machine Age, Wrong Man Running, Finnegan of the Rock, Lost Dog, Strange Highways, and The Man in the High Castle. Rex Young has previously been seen at the festival as Macduff and Macbeth, Jack in The Importance of Being Earnest, and Antipholus of Syracuse in The Comedy of Errors. He's also appeared at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, the Cincinnati Playhouse, Actors Theater of Louisville, and the Milwaukee Repertory Theater. His television and film credits include Captain Fantastic, Language of Love, Designing Women, Human Resources, and Redwood Highway. Jeff and Rex, welcome to the Play On Podcast. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Well, we're excited to have you both here to talk a little bit about uh, Julius Caesar and... um, uh, sort of jumping right in to the play itself, this is an interesting tragedy. I'm using air quotes that you can't see out there in listener land. But uh, it doesn't have some, some of the same sort of structural elements that other uh, Shakespeare tra- tragedies do. And one of the things that I think is most interesting is the sort of general ambiguous nature of the way Caesar's portrayed. And that it's not, you don't see a ton of him on stage. You see, uh, re- you hear reports of him as greatness and reports of his not greatness. But it's sort of left to the audience to sort of decide which of that's real and and which of the two factions in terms of this, the unfolding of this play are more right than somebody else. Did you find the same thing from a character standpoint in your as you rehearsed and put this play together? Um, yeah, uh, it is an ambiguous piece. It can be done in a way that slants it towards Brutus and Cassius and the conspirators. Orson Welles did the production where it was like a neo-Nazi fascist takeover by Julius Caesar, but mm-hmm. Joe Hanready, the director, didn't want to lean the play that way in, 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 in any way and keep it open so that, just from my perspective as, as Brutus, he's a, he's a good guy who makes a bad decision. He makes what he thinks is a good decision for the good of Rome, but because violence is included uh, and murder is inherent, uh, it turns out to be tragic for all involved. He brings about the very thing he wanted to keep from happening, which is an emperor taking over mm-hmm. what was a, air quotes again, republic. <laughs> I would just add to that that I think there is something common to me that I recognize in the tragedies in that there's a kind of flip. You know, um, you start, I think, as an audience just because you have a lot of us, uh, Brutus and Cassius, talking and you see our perspective and you hear our perspective and I think there's a kind of like yeah maybe we should overthrow this person who wants to be a tyrant but then once it happens the cost of that and how that sort of comes home to roost maybe changes the audience's perception uh, from where they started in the play and that's that is common to me in many Shakespeare tragedies Mm -hmm. Richard II works in a, in one way, uh, Macbeth works in another way, sure. but there's usually a kind of flip where the audience, I think, has to question what they thought when they started the play. I think it's even true with Hamlet to a certain degree. I mean, we all speak about Hamlet like we've already seen it before, <laughs> but if you first experience Hamlet, a ghost shows up and says these things about Claudius to Hamlet, but we're not sure if that's bona fide, and Hamlet himself goes to great means to figure out if the killing or the ouster of Claudius is justified. And it's not until very late in the play where 
Claudius, you, you realize yeah. that he did do this. So there's that flip that Rex is talking about. It's just, it's a, it's a similar kind of thing, but I think it's even more ambiguous, though, in Caesar. Well, what's interesting about that idea is that that, that it is almost always a flip, a return to a, a previous uh, perspective, rather than perhaps an evolution that maybe what Brutus and Cassius were doing is right, but the execution was wrong, so that's what that's the perspective change, that it's almost always, oh, wow, they were wrong, and they were wrong wholesale, or they were right, and they were right wholesale, or... Or, it's, or lots of people were right and wrong. Yeah. You really can't hang your hat on anybody, because you'd think Antony might be the hero of right. the story. He had nothing to do with the murder, seems like a good guy who parties too much. <laughs> but then we find out after the oration, where he speaks to the mob... He turns them on them with, with fake evidence of a will that probably never existed. Yeah. He's probably holding a blank piece of paper in his hand. He's unleashing hell uh, or unleashing the, the fury of the mob uh, against these guys for his own gain. So there's a flip on him, yeah. too. You might have thought he was the hero. He's not. He's an opportunist. Which, which leads to my next question. That There's lots of talk around this play about the greater good. You know, that what, what is, you know, if you've seen Hot Fuzz, the greater good, the sort of... Sure. But, uh, <laughs> but that everyone is at least saying that they're acting for the good of the Republic, for the good of the people. Yes, everybody. Everybody is. is. It's very political in that regard in that you have Cassius and Brutus and Antony and Caesar, for the most part, giving speeches to either each other or to the audience where they're trying to sway you, the, the, read, the, the, the spectator, the audience member, of their position. Mm-hmm. So that's about as much politics, I think, that as the play includes and is pushing forth these ideas of I'm right and here's why. And so the audience is constantly having to shift, yeah. which is fascinating and interesting and keeps them from sitting back and keeps them leaning forward. It's hard to pick a team at the beginning and just and settle in. So I guess my question now, thinking as, as both of you as actors approaching this piece, who have done lots of Shakespeare, lots of other work, lots of other places, and I will, Rex, I want to start with you and then, and then Jeff. When you came into this play, uh, did you have any sort of preconceived notions about these characters and about their inherent rightness or wrongness? Or did you, had, knowing how much time you've both been around theater and Shakespeare, did you come into the show? With, with any preconceived notions that you had to undo in the rehearsal process? I'm sure. Um, I think, uh, first of all, I, I have not had much experience with Julius Caesar. Um, sure. The first production I've ever done of it. I've seen a few productions. I always wanted to play the role of Cassius, but in building the role of Cassius, I think then I had to really look at his function in the play, his motivation in the play, and in talking with Joe and, and working with Jeff about, you know, is he just a manipulator or does he want something higher than that? Um, and I think I started thinking he was more of an Iago figure, mm -hmm. you know, just wanting to serve himself and his um, ambitions. And what I realized in working on the play was, you know, in the tent scene, which is, occurs later in the play, it's a crucial scene between Brutus and Cassius. There's language that indicates that he really cares about what Brutus thinks of him. And if you believe that, working backwards to the beginning where he's sort of plotting and pushing Brutus to do this, isn't quite as callous um, you know, if he really does love him. 
-hmm. So that was a question for me, and I think I started out thinking he was more cynical and more self-serving. And what I realized is there's a combination of both. I mean, he does love his great friend, who they refer to each other as brothers, although they're mm -hmm. not. They may as well be. And, but he knows that he can't achieve what he wants to achieve without Brutus, the noble one. Um, Caesar starts out suspicious of Cassius already. So his motivations, I think, if he was to lead this rebellion by himself, would be called in question. But if he gets Brutus with him, then it will seem like a noble enterprise. There's a legitimization with, with yeah. him. Yeah. So I think that that early language in the play where he is kind of manipulating him, and Joe really encouraged me in this way, is more about, I know this might not be you know, the most honorable thing to do, but I need to push him, you mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. I, need to, it, I need to be pragmatic and um, find any way I can to make this happen because I feel so strongly that Caesar taking over as a dictator or king um, is far worse than any manipulation I might have to do to get that to happen. That's probably, it, it always strikes me that that's his conflict. I've, I've, I've been in the play three times. Uh -huh. I played Cassius before and it, 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 it seems like that's Cassius's conflict is that that between the manipulation and his friend and doing what's good and what where is the nobility yeah. there for him and that's something that Rex does really well and uh, the friendship that they have and the loss. Well, the friendship is real. I mean, it's the it's friendship so is real, real and solid. It's not it's not necessarily a political. It's part tool. of it's part of the tragedy. It's yeah, part of what's yeah. lost. And so if there isn't one, then there's nothing to be lost. Yeah. So there is no tragedy. So there it, it has to be, and we have one. So. And it just, works well. Um, going back to um, sort of thinking about the play, like I've worked on a lot of other Shakespeare plays, and so in approaching and starting to work on Julius Caesar, the writer um, was familiar to me. Sure. So there are things that were f I'm more familiar with Macbeth and with Othello, and you know I could see a lot of that in this play. You know, there's st whenever there's storms in a play, something's going on with the characters too, and and through a huge chunk of the play. Weather is crazy in Rome. So I recognize that. I recognize that Cassius is a kind of, at least in my opinion, is, is a kind of Lady Macbeth figure almost, too. He pushes Brutus, you know, but he gets to live a little bit longer than um, later. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he is a little bit of an Iago in that he is willing, he, he sees the lay of the land and he sees how to manipulate those things. I don't, again, I don't think he's as inherently evil as one might think Iago is. Uh, but so in my, my experience with other plays really kind of informed how this play might work because you see this, this wonderful playwright at work here and it's clearly, whether you agree it was Shakespeare or some other playwright, I've always maintained it's the same yeah. person. There's you see the same issues yes, being worked yeah, through yeah, in definitely. many, many plays. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, anything to add as far as you know, oh, sort of unpacking the, of unpacking the character? Oh, just in terms of show before, yeah. It, the other productions I've been in, Brutus has been played by really terrific actors, but to me he's always so stoic and so withdrawn uh, and so noble that he doesn't quite show up and that I don't know what the tragedy is. Sure. And I, and I don't get, I get that it's a drama, but I don't, it's not the tragedy of Julius Caesar. He dies halfway through and we really don't get to know him.
So what is the tragedy and who is, who, where, is where are the tragic heroes? And I, I think it has to be Brutus and Cassius who are the tragic heroes of the play. And if, if Brutus can be this good guy, like you, the audience member, might think of yourself as being, sure. presented with this situation, who tries to reason his way through it, who tries to do what's best, but who talks himself into something, is partially talked into doing something, he believes his own hype, his, his uh, ancestors took out the Tarquin, who was the first guy that tried to be king in Rome, and he believes that he needs to be that guy and justifies it as a sacrifice instead of a murder. You know, you can believe him or you can think he's just painting it. You know, we watch our politicians these days talk about issues on both sides and they, they'll frame an argument in a certain way for you so sure. you believe them. And I think he believes himself. He truly believes he's doing what's right. And so to watch him lose all of that, he practices stoicism. He's not a master of it. I think he practices it because he has a hard time with emotions. Sure. He has a very difficult time with it. So that's why I can be emotional in the play in several places with my wife, with Cassius in the tent scene, you know, with Lucius, the people that mean the most to him. Yeah, the moments of his of his like stripped down reality in terms yeah, of exactly. where he's just the public you know, guy and the yeah, private yeah. guy. And if he's and if he's all stoic the whole time, well, the audience never gets in. And so it's my job, particularly in the gorgeous Ains Theater, where I'm sitting or standing, you know, five feet from the audience. My job is not to project or act big outdoors. My job is to strip away and be as honest and um, revealing as I can be with the audience. Awesome. Well, I mean, it, there, there's a the question. I I, I appreciate the I. The question of, you know, do are they are they true believers in their own message, and are is this, you know, when it's all said and done, is this truly an act of patriotism at the core at the beginning, or is this a political machination for power? And for the tragedy, I think you want to believe at least at some level that these that whether you're talking about Cassius or Brutus, that they too they believe it, and that they're motivated whether in themselves or for the nation is into something good. And exactly, I always, I always like thinking of sort of. Brutus is sort of the lees of old Virginia, that there's this ah. history and... The cause. The cause. Do that, it for the that cause. They're, they're from the very beginning, that, that, you know, this is... The very fabric of Rome was this family, and so he's, he's honor-bound in addition to his own... Right. Remember that John Wilkes Booth thought that he was doing something good for the yeah. South. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we can look at him now and judge him pretty harshly and, and have a lot of thoughts about him, but he, in his own mind, he must have been thinking that this would do something to bring the South back. Six Emperor Far Miranda. less honorable than a Robert E. Lee. Yeah. But still, and probably all of these guys that have committed political assassination yeah, they, somehow thought they were doing... They're heroes in their own mind. Yes. Well, John Wilkes Booth was an inspiration for me as Cassius because... And if you make the comparison between Lee and Booth um, in their motivations, I think in reading about John Wilkes Booth, yes, he, well, one, he was a racist and, and he believed in, you know, returning the South to its prominence, but I also think he was self-serving. Mm -hmm. And I don't know it, what he would have, who he would have turned into had he lived, um, you know, and, and that's how, kind of how I feel about Cassius. He's a little bit more self-serving, I think. Um, he, yes, he, his reasons um, that he gives for wanting to overturn Caesar are also personal. You know, Caesar doesn't like him. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like Caesar. They've had a history. 
And so it's not as pure as the argument that Brutus follows. Um, when, I, when we do get a certain amount of power, I abuse it a bit, you know? I am playing the political game. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you finally admit that. <laughs> Well, Note the don't date get and time. Started about uh, how Brutus <laughs> should listen to Cassius because almost every time Cassius suggests something, we should have killed Antony. I admit it right now in yeah, front yeah. of everyone and listening to this podcast. <laughs> we should have killed Antony, and the next time we do the show, perhaps we will. Yeah. And we shouldn't have gone to Philippi, but we do it anyway. Well, because Brutus says so, and well, I... Shakespeare said so. So what am I supposed to do? Should I play right? Well. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right on that. And the question is, how much, how much was John Wilkes Booth self-aware of his self-serving? And how much is yeah. Cassius aware of the self-serving nature of what's going on? And he might be, to that's for you to answer, maybe in certain degrees, in certain moments. Coming back to your uh, comment about the theater itself, this is a uh, small space in the Ains Theater. It's a unique setup in an alley, you know, audience on two sides, tennis court style. Well, what was it like, sort of, first audience, what was it like to, you know, do this big, grand Shakespearean tragedy in such a small space? Uh, a bit frightening. Um, <laughs> uh, you, I, I would feel uh, remarkably vulnerable in that space, you know. Um, they're right there. You see whether they're digging it or they're not digging it. Um, but that immediacy that is achieved in there. I mean, I really feel like I don't want to do Shakespeare outside of a black box anymore, you know. Um, I love the challenge of bigger theaters and communicating to a larger audience, but to have the gift of really being able to talk and connect with your fellow actors and not have to worry about turning out and sharing and those things. There are challenges in terms of blocking and moving that are unique to this sort of alley setup, you know, audience on the two sides. But it's been a real gift um, to be able to play this play in that space. Yeah, you're, you're always acting, but in a space like this, you don't want to get caught acting. acting. Yeah. Right. Like I said before, you're revealing stuff, and you have to serve up a Shakespearean text so that your voice and diction and all that work still has to be moving full throttle, but it has to be conversational. It has to be in a way that you're not playing in the Ingolstadt Theater outdoors. Yeah. You know, you are very honest, as honest as you can be with each other. And it's stunning. You're, you're, in the, you're on the ride with the audience. They are in it with you. And uh, it's very frightening at, at first because you, you, we rehearsed the play and we felt good about rehearsal, but then you present it to the audience and you're right there with them. And it's hard to tell if they are overwhelmed, underwhelmed, or... Taking a nap, you know, it's hard to tell. And, and luckily, we've realized, doing it so many times, that so many of the audience members, this is something very different for them. But they've gone on the ride, and I think afterwards, it's literally like a, an e-ticket ride at an amusement park. And they get off it, and it's like, wow, what was that? Because we haven't really experienced that kind of thing because of the, the nature of the intimacy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of the theater. Well, it's something entirely new for us. We've never had a space like this in 55 years. It's a glorious years. space for this theater. It's a wonderful chance to do different kinds of work and have the audience experience different kinds of plays. Well, we've, I've, you know, I've talked to people anecdotally coming out, and I think what can feel like disengagement is hyper-awareness, where they're just like, so like, what is happening? What is, I'm watching, like... You know, because it's all so close and it's all so visceral and intense. People are getting blood on them. Yeah, they were you, for a while. You may get wet on this it's, ride. It's, it's made with Dawn soap, so it will wash <laughs> out. So don't worry about that. But yeah, yeah you you're may get, get bloody. You may get wet on this ride. Uh, uh, final thoughts, gentlemen. Uh, coming 
back to the, the, the sort of duality of these two characters um, and the use of language in this play, that there's, you know, the, the battles are fought eventually on the field, but initially are fought rhetorically, that there's this wonderful duality of language between the two factions, certainly, but even between, between characters is sort of the approach. Um, talk about as, as, you know, around the table or in the rehearsal process, Unpacking some of these mono, these rhetorical speeches, these monologues. What's your approach uh, with the with the language, not just Shakespearean language, but the rhetorical sort of classic, constructed um, speech speeches? Um, you know, uh, the the rhetoric is clear. These are men who are public speakers. That was part of the Roman society. And when you're dealing with the Shakespeare play, you've got a, a playwright who's who's offering up terrific rhetoric and uh, speech devices all the time. And you find a way to find the operative words, to figure out what your objectives are, to what you want from the other characters. And the, the, the joyful part of it is you can do a lot of work at home and prep, but then you get to the room and you realize there's a certain amount of stuff that you worked well in your bathroom. And <laughs> now, when you're looking at Rex, or I'm looking at Paul, or I'm looking at Lucius or uh, Karen, you know, it's, it's playing to the people. And all of these people in this production, everybody involved, is very present with you at every moment. So it's a moment-to-moment -moment listening and responding. It's very basic acting, but we often forget to do it. Shakespeare can often become speechifying, mm -hmm. and I'm speaking at people. But I think, in terms of dealing with each other, it's a real give and take, and you find... We're still finding every time we do the show, it's slight, and people will always say this, and shows are always different, but this show, from night to night, from day to day, is always slightly different. We're standing in a slightly different place. We're emphasizing a slightly different word because it's this day, not the last day. We're not trying to recapture what we had before. We're moving forward with it. And I, and I, I don't know about Rex's opinion of like speeches to the audience, mm -hmm. but for me, it's wildly different. I, I don't have set blocking in the, in the scene where Brutus is waiting for the conspirators and I have my three soliloquies uh -huh. or four soliloquies, basically. I have general areas where I can be, but I try to find people who are paying attention in the audience. I tr I'm trying to move around and get people. We've had students, and rightly or wrongly, I've taken a lot to them. I'll, I'll show them the, the notes that I've received in terms of speak, strike, redress, and all that to try to engage them. And it needs to be a different engagement every time. And that's exciting and scary. I think, um, you know, language uh, is a tool for an actor and a character to get what they want. And I think for Cassius, you know, I don't think of him as using the standard rhetorical devices in the way that... I hear from Brutus or Antony even, building an argument on top of an argument and coming to a logical conclusion. It does happen, but most of my language is pretty clear in that way. There are maybe some ways that I say things that are seem archaic or something, but, you know, I come on and I tell you a story about, you know, Caesar and me swimming, you know, um, and how he had to ask for my help. and and. And that's a very clear story, um, but it's used to affect Brutus. You know, I'm using it for a reason. You know, I have a, a fair amount of language early on, and that's because I'm trying to create this plot that's happening. I'm trying to gather everybody, and mostly I'm trying to convince Brutus to see that he is more uh, 
appropriate and noble than this guy who's going to be king. So I use our personal our history, I use um, some anecdotal stuff um, to try to show him that this guy's not a god, he's a man. And you know what? He's not even that great of a guy. You're as good as him, if not better. And so uh, the language is a tool to, uh, uh, a means to that end. Um, I find, for me, and I've had, you know, some experience with Shakespeare, that he's very clear, you know, there was not much where I was asked myself, what is he saying here? Mm -hmm. it, it was very like, this is clear what he's saying, you know, I want this guy out and you should be, um, you should, you should feel the same way and this is why. Um, and that being said, it's, you know, the two sort of very familiar speeches I have in the beginning are just wonderful to be in, you know, I feel like they um, completely uh, mesh intention and rhetoric and language um, in a way that's very accessible uh, to me at least, and I, and I think to the audience, I think the first movement of the play, well up until the assassination of Caesar, the argument of the play is pretty clear. Once we get into the later part of the play, the, the argument becomes a little bit different because we've achieved this, this goal, but we didn't really plan for what happens after that. And there's a kind of breaking down, and the characters grapple with that, you know, and so their argument their, uh, through language becomes different uh, because of that. Absolutely, and that's something else that goes back to that. That's the same thing that happens in Macbeth. That's the same thing that happens in Richard III. When the guy gets the crown, when those guys get what they've been working towards, that's when all things break down and go wrong. And that's something similar to the question we were talking about earlier. And it also seems, too, that, you know, Cassius is a man of passion. He's warm. He finds a way to recruit all these people, and he's got a personal touch. And Brutus is reasoned and cool, and it, and it needs to be that. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, we could, we could both be passionate, and we could both be reasonable, but that's the same thing. It's much more interesting that these two guys are hot and cold. Mm -hmm. It's not that Brutus is a cold fish. He's got a lot of passion. He keeps it down. And it's on the surface more for Cassius. Yeah, and that's what's really fun about this mm -hmm. is to play those opposites and try to maintain those until we get into the tent scene when all sort of all heck breaks loose mm -hmm. where things have just gone so wrong and Brutus's wife is dead and he's holding that in in that scene that he's just that's where things escalate where there's a lot of passion. But it's just fascinating to play the hot and the cold and the opposites of these two guys that if you put them together in one person <clears throat> that might have been the person that would have been successful in, in, in you know, yeah. overthrowing Caesar and maintaining something. But we'll never know, because we know historically that's not what happened. Yep. Gentlemen, thank you for your time today. Uh, I hope you have uh, an exceptional rest of your run here and uh, safely, you know, kill Caesar every every production. I mean, we're, we're not going to kill him next time. We're going to do our best not to kill do him you're very, see what happens. Yeah, just see how, see how it all turns out. But yeah. we're going to kill Anthony, right? We're going to kill you Anthony. Said it. Yeah, I said, we're said gonna, it. We're just going to get rid of Anthony. We'll listen to Cashews. <laughs> yes, I will listen to Cashews. <laughs> so Thanks. if you've seen it before, come and see it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. I think Brian's going to take over my That's role. I think say. David will take over your role. <laughs> and somebody put Sam on notice. There all you right. go. Thanks, Jens. You bet. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Play On Podcast. Be sure to go back and listen to past interviews on the festival webpage, bard.org. Check out the latest episode released every Friday with your favorite directors, actors, and designers from our 2016 season.